Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. I'm going to be spending around an hour uh, doing some question and answer with you guys. I see you guys already have some questions typed in. Um, I think I'll probably give the legal disclaimer a little ways in, just basically saying I'm not providing legal advice, but I'll do that as people stream in. Usually we have mm, five, six, seven times the numbers of people by the by the time I wind up compared to when we start. So um, let's just jump in. Uh, before we do, I'm going to kind of define what we do at InventRight. Uh, we coach and mentor people to license their products. So what does that mean to license your products for royalties? Well, it means when you license your product to a big company, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. So you don't need to raise money. You don't need to hire people. And you don't need to try to beg uh, let's let's face it, a large retailer doesn't want to buy your product from you. But if you license it to a large company, they will talk to that big company that they already have eight or 10 products in their store. So you get to benefit from this large manufacturer's network that you license to, and you get to benefit from their workforce. So sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising, you know, the company you license to will more than likely have 80 products to thousands of products. And they have this machine, basically. And when you plug your product into that machine by licensing your product to them, they're very efficient. They're very good at logistics and moving things around and sales and all that. The stuff that most inventors don't like to do. So, um, you know, when you license, you're putting all that work off onto a big company. And, you know, for your, you don't want to say this to them, but you can say, I, I like licensing because... I'm going to get this big company to do all the work for me, you know, but you still have to do the work to close that one licensing deal. And then it's on them. Um, but you need to do that work. And that's the work we specialize in, you know, uh, how to close a licensing deal. You also don't need to raise money. A lot of people are like, oh, I just need the money and everything will fall into place. Like you could raise a ton of money. First of all, most people won't give it to you, but you could raise the money. But then you're still a one product, one SKU company. And retailers don't like that. They don't figure you're going to deliver on time. You're going to run out of money, quality control issues. They like going with companies that have been established for a while and have a track record of success um, with them. Okay. So when you license to that big company, you are that big company. And I, I've joked before, you know, when you're licensing and you're an inventor, you can have delusions of grandeur and you're not delusional. And what I mean by that is, for that big company to do 20,000 units, 50,000 units, half a million units, 2 million units, it depends on the price of the product and what it is. Um, that's normal for them. For you to try to get to that level quickly with one product is um, not normal. It would take years to, to build up a product line and everything. And you really raise God knows how much money. And if you're a creative person, you want to focus on your creativity and getting your product out in the world. Um, I think inventors are basically like, a product artist, you're a product artist. So you want, you know, artists, they want to see their product in people's walls and their houses and in museums. And you want to see your product on store shelves and in people's homes using them, right? And so that's the goal. Now, you know, I've, I've this kind of cliche, but you do what you love, the money will come. And I believe that's very, very true. So do what you love and invent, but don't feel like you need to quit your day job you need to spend 10000 on a pad and 5000 on a prototype. You can spend 75 on a provisional pad, a few bucks on a prototype or a virtual prototype. 
Um, and you can be in the game with very, very little money. And that's the crux of the invent right approach is to be able to do this very affordably. Do we have students that take it to the next level or, you know, have filed a bunch of patents and we can still guide them? Absolutely, of course. Um, but if you work on simple products, you can do this the rest of your life and you'd never run out of money. And you can have a day job, you can have another business and you can you can keep doing this on the side for as long as you want. Or you can go full time like some of our students have. So let's let's jump in, start doing some questions here. Um, uh, and feel free to type your first name. Otherwise, I'll read your handle no matter how silly it is. Um, uh, I mean, that's OK. It's OK to have a silly YouTube handle, right? Who cares? Who's even paying attention to YouTube handles most of the time, right? Um, Marcus says, I'm loving reading One Simple Idea. Do you have any other books to recommend? Yes, I would recommend the next book I would get from our, our other co-founder, Stephen Key, is How to Become a Professional Inventor. And the reason why I really like that book is he interviewed like 30 companies about what they're looking for. What do they think of inventors? How do they work with inventors? And One Simple Idea is the first book you should get because it covers our 10 steps for how to license products, basically, and how to get out there into the world. And then Become a Professional Inventor is good because it will give you a mindset for what are these companies thinking and how can you accommodate them? Think It's not just about you. Sometimes inventors are too wrapped up in their own stuff. And they're not thinking from the perspective of the company or the person you're talking to. And that book will get you doing that. Um, and then if you really wanted to get deep into intellectual property, you can do uh, sell your idea with or without a patent. So I do one simple idea first, and then become a professional inventor. And then if you want to get deep in intellectual property and patents, um, sell your idea with or without a patent, which is an intriguing title, but I definitely wouldn't get that book first. I get one simple idea, how to become a professional inventor. And then if you're really into the books and then you could get um, sell your idea with or without a patent. Now, those books are great and they are not a tease. People, we get compliments constantly about how we give it all up. And then we get people commenting about that for, um, for our YouTube show as well. So let me click send on this. I was supposed to make a post on both Stephen and my LinkedIn account. There we go for this live stream. Okay, now I'm done with that. Um, so it was kind of awkward to do it during the live stream, isn't it? Um, so that's what I would do. But we people, even though they compliment us, hey, you guys are giving it all up with the YouTube show and the book. Um, we don't get fans licensing nearly as often as we do our coaching students because we're holding their hand through the whole thing. We've got a good negotiation coach helping you out. So um, don't be afraid to ask for help. But don't be afraid, too, to go for it on your own, definitely with all the information, because we do give a lot of great info. I'm biased because I'm the co-founder, but we do. So thank you for the question, Marcus. Um, John said, after submitting a sell sheet, I hate how the chat jumps up when new people type. It's like trying to read it. After submitting a sell sheet, what does it mean when a company says we are fully, fully focused right you can check back at the end of the season this, to discuss R&D further. Fully focused, right? I don't know what the hell that means. Um, yeah, John, I don't know. Without getting your situation, he's saying you got interest from a company. They say we're focused on the right things. I guess that's what he's saying. And to check back at the end of the season to discuss R&D further. Um, I think what they're saying is we really like this product. 
Um, but we're putting it on hold, which is unusual. Um, but we're, re we're really busy right now. But we still like this product. So be on hold. So here's what I would do there, John. I'd say, great, we'll do that. But I would keep shopping around other companies. You know, and this is kind of an extreme case, but it's not unusual to get interest from multiple companies and you move forward with a couple and then, then you know, let's say you get interest from four and three fall off and you end up doing a deal with one, right? You should move forward with everyone as if the others don't exist, okay? If you get interest from a company and when new inventors are new, they're always doing this. Oh, these are my guys. These are my guys. And then two and a half months go by. Ah, uh, we decide we're not interested. And then you, you, st you stop calling during that entire time. Big mistake, total rookie move. So then you start calling some more companies, get another one interested. And as soon as you do, you stop calling. And that's another month and a half. You could drag this freaking thing on forever. Having interest from multiple companies is normal and it's what you should be shooting for. So John, you could get back at the end of the season as they tell you, because they're basically saying, put it on hold. They're not paying you a holding fee. And it's really difficult to negotiate that. You know, we've helped some of our students do that, but it's pretty unusual that that makes sense. Uh, but they're asking you to hold it for free, basically. And then you could come back and you could talk about the R&D a little bit. And they're like, oh, we're not interested. So end of the season, I don't know when the hell that is, three months from now, you talk about R&D for another month. Now you wasted four months. No, hell no, you're not going to do that. You're going to reach out to more companies. So you've got some interest. They're interested, but they're not committing keep shopping around, come back to them, ask for a solid date when end of the season is. When is that? When is the date that I should come back? Because it looks like you're too busy right now. Um, you might even say, well, I'm going to continue to shop it around because it doesn't look like you're interested at this point. I would be careful about that. Personally, I probably wouldn't say that. I think the more professional thing to do is not to say that and say, when would that date be? Great. I'll get back to you then and just keep shopping it around. I wouldn't threaten them. I'm going to keep shopping around. Then it gets weird. I, I don't, but I don't know all the details of your deal. So I can't now I'm commenting in a general sense. So I think this is a good opportunity to say everything I'm sharing with you today is should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Um, let's see. Uh, Ali pro said I'm from the UK. Um, would I still be able to file a provisional in the US? Yes, we've had students in over 65 countries and that's what I advise students, our, our, we call students, we call our clients students. That's why I advise inventors to do in every country um, to file a US provisional patent application. Um, we have plenty of our students licensing in the UK. Is it less common than in the US? Yes. If you limit yourself to only try to license the companies in the UK, big mistake. U.S. and Canadian companies are more open than any companies in the world to licensing. Now, when I when I define U.S. and Canadian companies, it could be a really big European company that's huge in the U.S. That's the same as U.S. company to me. Okay, so if there if companies that sell in the U.S. and Canada are more open to licensing than anywhere in the world, so. Now, UK is pretty good, but if you're like in Africa, you, could you do a deal with a company in Africa? You could. Is it fairly unlikely? Yes. If you just focused on companies in Africa, are you going to license? Probably never. Probably never. Okay. So, but people are like comfortable with their own language, their own country and all that. You guys are on the stream, so you must understand English to a certain extent. You're probably good to go for reaching out to US and Canadian companies or European or Asian companies that are really big in the US. Now, 
Um, so you can definitely file a U.S. provisional patent application without getting the details in a roundabout way. That's kind of a provisional patent in the U.K. because they're part of the PCT patent cooperation treaty. So it would preserve your rights to file over there. But it would be kind of silly if you know, which many of you didn't until I said it just now, if you knew that most of the deals you're going to close are going to be in the U.S. and Canada, file, that's why filing a U.S. provisional patent is the smartest thing to do. And if you also know that in a roundabout way, because a lot of these European countries and all tons of other countries, too, are part of the PCT, that it preserves your right to later file um, in those other countries, if you get interest from a European company, for example, then it's the smartest thing to do is file a U.S. provisional patent application. And there's no additional cost. It's the exact same cost for somebody in the U.K. or anywhere else. OK, um, my head coach, Terry, is texting me on Skype. I'm gonna tell him I'm on a live stream. There we go. Um, Peter said, do you believe taking a product to Kickstarter and if it's successful, you license it, would it be better negotiating a licensing? No, it's public disclosure. Kickstarter, there's people on there that if you have a successful campaign, most people don't, most people fall flat on their face. Um, but they, if they do that, somebody's knocked you off and is already selling it on Amazon before you're even done. I got a whole video. If after you get um, off this live stream, if you go to InventRight TV, so like on the live stream, you know, don't do it now, but you click on the little icon, right? That's the InventRight icon. That takes you to our channel. And then there's a search feature where you can just search the channel. Just type in crowdfunding, okay? And there's a whole video I did. I think it's like 12 minutes. It's extremely thorough on why I didn't always believe this, guys. I always thought that crowdfunding was cool and kind of grassroots. I think it absolutely sucks the vast majority of the time for the vast majority of people. And licensing is a much better match. So instead of me taking up 12 minutes and not answering some of your questions, after you guys are done, go to our channel, type in crowdfunding and find that video and it will give it really in depth. And if I try to do it right now, I'll probably miss a few things. So watch that video. OK, but I don't like it at all anymore for a ton of reasons. It sucks now. It sucks. It, at its beginning, I thought it was great. It's like, oh, you know, people are funding an inventor to launch their product. But there's a lot of problems with that that have developed. And I did like it to a certain extent. I still always like licensing better, but that video will go into great detail on that. Okay. Um, Karen said, uh, Hi, thanks for a lot. Thanks for the show. Can you license one invention having a few embodiments of different industries um, to different companies? Yes. And I see, uh, I get new students all the time where I take a look at it and I'm like, Oh, you've got a different version of it. One for this industry, one for that industry. And basically, absolutely, you could probably cover that with one provisional patent application. But it's basically you have two products then. And so when you do a licensing deal, let's say if it could be used in kitchen, but it could be also used in garden. I'm just making something up. You could when you when you get you don't this isn't something you talk early on you want to get interest in the product and you move the deal forward and then once you start negotiating you say well i've got this other version of it that doesn't step on your toes and it's in garden and they're like yeah that's fine that's not a problem and you call it out so you can call those types of things out in a licensing agreement you need to know that you can do that okay and it's basically two different products at that point you've got a different sell sheet for each industry you've got a different list of companies that you're going to reach out to for different industries and if it's different enough and it's of a different different industry why would they care 
It's if it's long as it's not going to hurt them and their sales, why would they care? Perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable. Actually, it's I've talked to a fair amount of students of ours where that was the case. It's it's not that uncommon. So hopefully that's helpful. I get that question all the time. People are really concerned about that. Like they're like, well, I want a license over here, but they are they going to have it all? And it's like, no, let's just let's talk with them about it. You know, but that's not like when you get interest. That is definitely not the first. Hey, I just wanted to mention I. I got a version of this over here for another industry. And I just want to make sure that's okay. No, move the deal forward. And you talk about it later as they show interest and things start to move forward. There's a time and a place for everything. And that's one of the things that our other co-founder, Stephen's been saying a lot, and I fully agree with him. There is a flow to licensing. So you learn about this stuff on our YouTube show or on our books. And you're like, oh, I got it. I got it. You know, and And it's like, but you could never get the flow on your own. You can make a bunch of mistakes and get the flow and go, oh, that didn't work. And if you really observe it, make those changes. But that's the great benefit of having a coach and having a negotiation coach that tells you when to mention what. That's very important. Hey, we give a certain amount of that on here, but you need to listen. You need to look at the product, look at the industry, look at the scenario, and then what they said, and then go, oh, the next flow would be like to go here or to go there. Oh, no, I'd go here. And so there is no answer I can give you to go, this is the way the flow always goes. We do talk about um, front, we do talk about like typically it'll go this way. And we do give you guys that, but don't always think it's always going to be the same. But when you get the vibe of it and you experience it and you go through it, you start to get the feel for it after a bit. Uh, Okay, Monkey Man said, what is the duration of time on average from getting a licensing deal and getting uh, royalties for the first time from a company ongoing? Okay, so um, one thing you can do, we, we talk about a lot that, Asking for a bunch of upfront money is the biggest kill dealer, deal killer of any licensing agreement. Um, I mean, I've talked to some inventors that insisted companies showed interest. These are not our students. These are people that I talked to. Um, and they're like, I want a half a million dollars up front. It's like, no, that's not going to happen. Now, if you've, if you've ventured the product and you have inventory of 30,000, you got distribution in 5,000 stores or something, and everything is coming to get, okay, maybe you could get, you know, big upfront money or get compensated for your inventory and stuff. But what we teach our students to do is you don't need to have sold a single one. You can spend 75 on a provisional, a few bucks on a prototype, and you can license this to a company. So in that scenario, and don't think that, oh, if I start my own company, I'll get more. No, if you start your own company, you'll most likely fail. Most inventors do. And then, and you're thinking, well, I'll just get that, that much more of a royalty. Not really. You know, yeah, you know, if you spent hundreds of thousands or, you know, half a million dollars, I talked to a guy the other day, I spent a million dollars launching his company, and they're so desperate to get that money back. That doesn't really vibe very well. He lost like a million dollars. I'm not kidding. Um, and he still didn't have crap for distribution. So, but what's going to happen most of the time is to get a small advance on royalties. And what is an advance on royalties? So there's an advance and advance on royalties. Advance is like, here's 10 grand. Okay, advance on royalties. Here's 10 grand, and the first 10 grand in royalties come in, we'll keep those. So they're giving you two upfront 10 grand, but then as you make royalties, which you get paid quarterly every three months, they would keep the first 10 grand. And once it goes beyond 10 grand, then they start paying you again. And so, one of the easy things to do if they're really obsessed with patents, which a lot of companies aren't, 
is to get them to give you an advance on royalties to pay for the patent. Because then it's an easy thing to sell. Because then you're like, well, um, you know, you're really interested. You're saying the patent's really, really important to you. I've got this provisional. And I've got a very competent independent practitioner. And a lot of times the company's thinking like 20K for a patent, but you could get one done for eight or 10K or something like that, you know, or less. I know you can get it done for less. So when you tell them that, they're like, oh, okay, he's not thinking 25K. He's thinking 8K or something like that. And he wants it as advanced on royalties. So that's nice because then they can give you that eight grand. You could pay your attorney. There's no dime, not a dime out of your pocket. Some of you are pretty tight financially. And that patent is then going to protect them and you. Now, the patent's always in your name. And the licensing contract gives them the right to manufacture the product, which can be dependent on a patent or not dependent on a patent at all. We will always try to make a licensing agreement at InventRight, not dependent on the patent if we can because then it's just a stronger agreement on your behalf. And a huge percentage of the time, we can pull that off. Our negotiation coach, what helps our students can pull that off. Um, but if you just get so patent focused, patent, patent, I want to sell you my patent, which is the stupidest thing you could possibly say, sell my patent. No, you want to sell the benefit of your product and you want to license the invention to them. Okay. So, but in that case, you're getting some upfront money, right? And so, like I said, the, the, the scenario that I see most common is if you're getting upfront money, it's an advance on royalties to pay for a patent, okay? Now, it could just be, sometimes they'll argue about paying a patent. No, we don't want to pay for the patent, but you get advance on royalties and you just then take that to pay for the patent. Sometimes it's important to the inventor that they get a patent, but the company's like, we don't really care. We'll pay you regardless. And in that case, you know, you could ask for some money an advance on royalties. You could give that to your attorney. You can go ahead and file a patent. So it's weird how, you know, these people, they're, they're not companies. They're people within the company that you're negotiating with, right? And it's, you just present it a different way and, or go around a different avenue and they're totally okay with it. And sometimes our, even our negotiation coaches scratching their head and they're like, uh, the second thing I proposed to them is basically the same thing, but they accepted it and they didn't want the first one. And it's like, they're just people like you and me. So it's not just inventors. It can be weird or difficult sometimes, which you guys are sometimes with companies. Um, but not when we got our help from our negotiation coach, but companies can be a little weird too. So it's like, let's accommodate. Right. Um, so getting back to the question, um, the question from Monkey Man is the duration of time on average from getting a licensing deal to getting royalties from a company ongoing. Okay. So he's saying the first royalty check. So I would say in, in the old days, you know, before, before COVID, before the supply chain issues, before all this weirdness that's going on, which is not affecting our students' ability to do a deal, by the way. Um, but before all that, I would say six months to 14 months was your first royalty check. So they need to get this manufactured quite often overseas. Then it needs to come over. And, and then they need to get it into the stores. That can take a little while. And then you get paid your first royalty check after it's been in the stores for three months. It's because you get paid your royalties quarterly. Almost every deal we've ever done has been quarterly because it's very normal. I think I saw one or two that were paid monthly. That's pain in the butt for them. That's not reasonable. Don't, don't like, hey, it's not your paycheck. You're not going to get a paycheck every week or every month. It's every three months. That's normal. And that's reasonable. Okay. Um, I don't like it when it goes longer than every three months. Um, I've seen as few where they wanted to pay like once a year and we're like, no, we're not going to do that. But, you know, if it's every four or five, wouldn't be in the world. 
but three is typical. And there's no reason why they shouldn't pay you because they already made the money. So as they make money, you get paid, right? I mean, there's a little delay there, but they, they got their own delays. So every three months is acceptable. Um, I would say it's not every six months to 14 months now. I would say it's almost quite frequently, except with the DRTV guys, because those guys tend to launch a little quicker, but not so much anymore. Um, I would say quite frequently it's over a year. Um, so, but so what? Like, if you're, if you're, I think so many, I think it's like an American disease, this get rich quick mentality. Like, and, and yeah, if you want to sell tchotchkes on eBay and make a hundred here and a thousand there, you can get that instant gratification. But, you know, when you're licensing, it's an all or nothing thing. You're either selling pretty decent volume or, or you didn't do it all a job at all. Sometimes, you know, you thought the company was going to do great and they didn't do, and it takes a couple more quarters for them to be successful. And sometimes it's not successful at all because, when companies launch products, sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. But guess what? If they're not successful, it wasn't your time. It wasn't your money. You didn't have to mortgage your house and home and you get it back because you never sell your idea. You rent or lease it, which is what licensing is. So if they don't perform, you get it back. So they're putting all that financial and work off onto them which is a beautiful thing. So these days for the vast majority of licensing deals, I wouldn't expect to see royalty checks for less than a year. I do see some of them still. Um, uh, Ingrid, who licensed to David from contract from Baby Brett, so you guys can watch that success story. It was a year and a half from the time she showed he showed interest till the time it hit the stores. You know, Now, I don't know. I don't know if that includes, there might be, maybe she didn't get her first royalty check yet. Maybe it's another three months. Maybe... Um, what was it? Yeah, maybe maybe it's maybe it's a little bit more, an extra three months. Okay, so um, do not look for immediate financial return on this. But guess what? If you start your own business, try to sell this thing yourself, you might not see a financial return for three or four years. You know, yeah, if you do sell a few on Etsy and you have no costs and you sell a few there, but most of you aren't thinking like that, and you shouldn't think like that. You sh I shouldn't say you shouldn't. That's fine if you want to do that. But you're thinking big. I want my product in Walmart and Target and Home Depot and Lowe's and Walgreens and Rite Aid or whatever the equivalent is for for. Um, and I want to think big. And you can totally do that with licensing. But these big companies don't move that fast. But once the machine is going, it's going, you know. And so you need to recognize that. Sometimes people, they get frustrated. Oh, I'll just sell some of myself. And, and I check in with some of these people sometimes. And it's just like, it's sad. Because of their own frustration, they shot themselves in the foot and they want the instant gratification of selling a few units. It's like, no, you're looking to sell 20, 50, 100,000 units here and you're getting satisfaction that you sold 10 units or 100 units. Like, you know, and if you want to start your own business, that's fine. You got to start somewhere and go up. But also, if you start your own business, sell it yourself, you're just giving everybody all sorts of opportunity to knock you off. You know what the best form of protection is? It's not a patent, it's first to market. So when you team up with a very large company and they push it out there really hard and fast, I know I said quite often takes over a year before it hits the market, but when they go out there, they go out there big. They don't sell 100 units here, 50 units there. That's crap. And if any any um, any deal you did that's happening, you didn't evaluate that licensee well enough or they didn't perform and you're going to have to take it back. But, you know, them launching in a big way really fast, way faster than you ever could on your own, 
because they have all that distribution, have all that money and have all the logistics and all the people to do it all, that is first to market is the best form of protection. Okay. And when you try to launch something on your own, you're just giving everybody all sorts of time and opportunity to knock you off, you know. Um, let's see. Corey is asking about some other, some invention promotion company. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't, can't answer that question about another company, Corey. Um, I do suggest that you you Google and you look up any company you're working with because there's a ton of invention promotion companies out there that will um, make you promises and and not deliver. I've never, this is what I can say. I've never met an invention promotion company. Um, I'm sorry. I've never met an inventor in the 14 years I ran my inventors group. I'm talking from my personal experience now. And the 22 years I've been running EventRight that had an invention promotion company license a product for them. Never. But every day we talk to somebody that spent, um, it's always 10 or 12,000. That seems to be like the sweet spot for a lot of these companies that tell me, oh, they're kind of licking their wounds. And they're going, hey, this happened to me 10 years ago, two years ago. You guys are the real deal. I'm ready to do the work. They were just telling me, you don't have to do anything. Give us 10 grand and nothing happened. So be really careful about that. Go to the uh, Federal Trade Commission site. If you type in invention promotion promotion companies, Federal Trade Commission, they'll they'll have stuff up there on how to avoid uh, getting scammed. Um, Stephanie said, when I email a company, do I sell the sell sheet right away or wait to ask to see it? You absolutely positively wait to get permission to send it, whether it's on LinkedIn or whether it's via email. Sending an unsolicited email to somebody randomly on via email is is not appropriate. It's just not. Um, okay. Kevin said, hi, Andrew. When ordering a cell sheet from InventRight, do we need a 3D prototype first in order for the InventRight team to insert in the cell sheet? So when we do uh, cell sheets for our students, so you know, when you just order through our design studio, the designer is just a designer. They're not a marketer. They're gonna do whatever you tell them to do. So if you say, hey, throw my picture of my product in there, that's what they'll do. If you say, throw the virtual prototype I already have, that's what they'll do. If you say, hey, throw the virtual prototype that you guys are doing for me in there, that's what they'll do. One thing they won't do is they won't do the marketing for you. So when you're an InventRight student and you talk with a coach, the coach is gonna make sure you study the marketplace, all the products in this space, they're gonna analyze what should the benefit statement, what should the bullet points be, and what does all the marketing need to be? And then they'll say to the student, look, we're ready to send this to design studio. Now they'll make it pretty. So I worry when inventors go to our design studio and they want to, they, they don't do good marketing because just like any designer, we're going to make it, it's going to be a pretty piece of junk. So if you don't do good marketing, and a lot of inventors think they're doing good marketing, very few do, um, and you send it to design studio, they'll make it beautiful, but they're not going to do the marketing. Now, if you sign up with our coaching program, they're going to help you with the marketing. Not only are they going to help you with the marketing, but they're going to empower you so you know how to make good sell sheets in the future. So they're going to put you through the trials and tribulations of doing the research, giving it your best shot, and them coming in there, fixing it up. And they want you to go through that process because what point is it if somebody just does it all for you and you don't understand what a good marketing piece is. You need to know what good is. You need to know when you have a sell sheet that the company's going to get in six seconds. 
and when you have a turd. And it needs to be something they get in six seconds. And when I see sell sheets outside of InventRight, 90% of the time, the sell sheets are complete and utter turds. About 5%, it's okay. All right. And then the other 5%, I'm like, good, you're good to go. Very rarely do I see inventors outside InventRight. Maybe it's just not the ones I talk to. I'm not saying there aren't inventors out there with good sell sheets. They, they're up in their own head. They didn't do their research. They're not good at the marketing. And then um, they try to do their own graphic design. That's a recipe for disaster. So the, the worst job an inventor could do, not study the marketplace, not look at all the other products in the space, not acknowledge their points of difference and your point of difference, um, not do good marketing based on your point of difference, thinking, oh, no, it's this and this, and I throw everything in the kitchen sink, throw 20 pictures in there or something like that. Um, not have the right thoughts for what should be included in the sell sheet. What are the right pictures? What's the right angle? Um, should there be a big picture and then a small picture or whatever it is? And then at the end, the worst is trying to do your own graphic design. Now, I do have people, some of you are pretty capable. Just because you're capable of using Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever it is you're doing doesn't mean you have good graphic design skills. You're, you're capable of using it but it can still look a little amateurish. And it's so affordable these days to get people to do some graphic design for you. I don't think that's something most of you should be doing. Now I've talked to some people that I'm like, well, that looks great and this good marketing, but they're few and far between. So um, Kevin, yeah, if you already have a 3D prototype, you can throw that in the sell sheet. You ask our designers to make, or we we do that. We do 3D prototypes for, um, they're, they're not engineering prototypes. They're just something that looks pretty. You know, and you could spin around, look at different angles and put those different angles in the cell sheet. So we can do that for you um, if you if you and I don't know if you what you mean by 3D prototype. I'm, I think you mean 3D virtual prototype. I don't know if you're printing something. You also have to figure out what looks good when. And that's something else the coach helps out with. A lot of people think it looks good, but it doesn't. Um, I talked to a student the other day and and he had this picture. He's a student of ours. And he had this picture and I'm like, oh, this looks, this just doesn't look good. It just, and, and he was shocked. He's like, what, what, it looks fine. And I'm like, no, this looks terrible. The cell sheet's great. The layout we did for you is great, but the picture you gave us is not good enough. You need to, you need to fix that. And I think he was okay with that. That's what he wanted to hear. But if nobody's telling you that and you don't have any feedback, you think it's good and it's not. Um, and that's really common. So do you really want to reach out to 30 companies with a poor sell sheet? Like, God, that's a giant waste of time. Um, but I'll give you guys a free um, a free way of testing that. And I've shared this before on here. And it's called like the computer or laptop test. So this has to be, and you, some of you guys heard this before, has to be with someone. It could be friend or family member. They could be super supportive, super critical, or somewhere in between. I don't care. Okay. Um, for this, you don't, you don't need them to be supportive or not supportive. It could be a friend or a family member. And so what you do is you put your cell sheet, which is eight and a half by 11 piece of piece of paper. It's on a, it's on a, um, it's on a computer, right? Usually it's on the computer. Um, I guess you could do it with a physical piece of paper too, but I probably on the computer Then stand. If it's a desktop, stand behind the computer. If it's a laptop, stand behind the computer. The, the criteria for this is you can have never talked to them about it before ever. Okay. They know you're an inventor or whatever. They haven't seen the product. That's fine. And then pull it up and stand behind the computer and just look at them, stare at them. Okay. And see if they start asking questions and they start asking, well, what, um, so what's that? Say nothing. 
doesn't matter how many questions they ask, just say nothing. Don't nod your head. Don't give them an explanation. Because when you send to a marketing manager at a company, they don't have anybody explaining anything, nor will you. Okay. So, um, so then you see if they're like, you, you, it's not just the questions they're asking. It's the look on their face. You see them kind of look around and they're like, that's why you got to stand behind the computer. And they're like, and you see that they're not getting it as quickly as you thought they would. Well, fix that. You know, hear the questions they're asking. And then after a period of time, you're like, okay, I've stared at them enough. I heard a few questions. I can see they've been looking at this thing for a minute and they still don't get it. I got to fix this thing. Okay, what what were your thoughts? And then you could start to interact a little bit. Well, I was confused because this thing was on the door and then I didn't get that. And you're like, oh, okay. So this is a free way you guys can test and do a better job. And what I think most inventors aren't doing that. And if you do that, um, that's the way you could do it without having to have an invent right coach. And it's going to be better. Do I think it's going to be better with an invent right coach guiding you through the process? Yes, I do. But that is a way that you can use to um, step up your game there. Okay. Let me take a sip here. Okay. Um, Jeremy said, how much do I need to know about manufacturing before I contact companies? Um, it depends on the product, but not as much as you think. And you guys have heard me say this before. A lot of times, you know, your product may be complicated, but your improvement to it's not. So you know that there's that and that product over there and they're, that's selling for $19.95, $24.95. And you don't understand all the inner workings of it. Let's say it's electronic, but your part's not electronic. And it's just a hinge that goes on the side. And so when they say, well, how do we do this? You go, well, there's that and that. You're going to do the innards mostly the same, but you're going to change this or that. And um, and this hinge is there and that on the side. And so you'd be surprised how often you can cite similar products and then cite your point of difference. The thing you need to understand is your point of difference. So you don't need to understand how to do electronic circuit boards. You don't need to understand how that hinge is made. If you can cite these products for them, what they're going to do is they're going to look at that product and go, oh, that company's making for 1995. I wasn't sure about that. But yeah, okay, that just confirms to them. It's like it's in the market. It's selling for that price. And then you need to go, and you know, I don't think it's going to add much cost to add that hinge, or it might actually reduce cost with the way that I changed it a little bit. And you can do that very often. Now, as I always joke about, you know, if you, you, you don't want to be the wacky inventor, right? And so I always give this example. If you got this, if you want, if your invention, your idea is a robot that jumps up on your roof and shingles the house so that you don't have to, men don't have to sweat under the sun and you don't have to work about workman's comp, about somebody falling off the roof and you're going to reduce labor costs. And, and you're like, and you preach it to some companies and they're like, oh, that's cool. How's that going to work? And you're like, I don't know, but it's a good idea. You guys should do it. Okay. That's wacky inventor territory. All right. That's on one extreme. And, and then, but most of the time, you know, things, if things aren't that technically complicated, you could cite similar products and your point of difference you're good. And the vast majority of our students are fine. So if you're not a technical person, you have a highly technical thing and you can't cite similar products and you're not 70% sure. I remember notice I didn't say hundred percent. And if you're like just, and you're not 70% sure, if you're 70% sure, I think that's good enough. But based on all the stuff I just gave you guys to do, if you're 70% sure, good. But if you're like, I just really don't know, you might think twice about working on that product. 
because you might come across that wacky matter has no idea. Now, um, Ingrid, who I just talked about, she did the finger shields, right? And she did, you know, it's a little glove that goes on your fingers. So you can put cream on a baby's butt. And she just took two soft pieces of material and literally hand sewed them together. She had no idea how it'd be manu mass manufactured, but her David, her uh, licensee, baby Bretza, they figured out how to heat seal the seam around it, right? And they probably looked at similar products and manufacturing stuff. She didn't need to figure that out. So now would maybe one company give you a hard time about that? We don't know how to do that. Or, but they were intrigued enough. They're like, they figured it out. So companies will figure out some technical things for you all the time. Don't feel like you need to have that all figured out. But don't be the wacky inventor saying, oh, you should do this. And you have no freaking idea. You haven't looked at similar products. You have no rec no fat. You just don't know at all. Okay, that's a bit of a stretch. And you got to ask yourself, eh, maybe this product's a little too technical for me. Now, maybe you're a technical person. You understand it. You could talk intelligently about it. Well, that's different. But the vast majority of our students, it's not a problem. Um, Let's see, Raul. Hey, Andrew, is it possible to license to an in-store brand? If so, would the pros and cons trying to reach these companies? You know, I just talked to um, uh, one of our students that had an in-store brand. It's hard. It's very hard. Um, most of the time, and this isn't this is changing a little bit. In-store brands are just trying to reduce cost on things. So they're like a table, a chair, what have you, a line, a standard line of this. You're trying to cut out the middleman, right? Um, so they're not really innovating. So if you see an in-store brand and you look at their in-store brand, you look at all the products, you go, there's nothing innovative here. These are just standard crap, standard stuff. Sorry, pardon my language. Standard stuff. Um, well, you're not going to get them to do an invention, you know, or a new really innovative product because that's not what they do. Right now, if it's an in-store brand that does have and you see they're being innovative, well, I think that's that's a good sign. And you could definitely possibly license to them. But generally, they're much harder to license to than the brands that sell to the retailers. The in-store brands is like the Walmart brand, the Home Depot brand, whatever brand. Um, but this is what you should do. Take a look at their product line. And if there's not a single innovative thing in their product line, it's extremely unlikely and you're going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. Also harder to get a hold of those guys, but it's doable. It's doable. You can. Um, uh, Paul said, hi, Andrew, is the lockdown in China affecting products being manufactured? I have a product and a deal on hold with a toy company. They said it was because they were waiting for things to open up. Um, I haven't found so there's a couple different things. So during COVID, we had more students licensing than before COVID. And now you've got supply chain issues. There's always going to be issues, guys. Companies will always need new products. What I'm finding is it's not affecting our students' ability to do deals, but, and, but the deals are taking longer to get done because the company will say, look, we're even, even us, we're trying to get quotes from our contract manufacturing over there and it's taking longer. So what I'm seeing is it might take an extra month, month and a half to get that quote back because the company you're trying to license to needs to verify it can be made and made at a reasonable price before they want to sign a licensing contract, right? So that's one downside, which I don't think is the end of the world, not a big deal. 
And then when they're launching the product, it's taking the companies longer to launch the product, but it's taking all companies everywhere longer to launch products now. So to complain or to feel like that is a reason why you shouldn't license, that's freaking ridiculous. I'm not saying you, you're not saying that. Um, so if you want to look for excuses on why not to license your product, I, I can show you all sorts of weird little excuses you can come up with. But you just have to accept it might take a little longer to close the deal. And it's going to take longer for them to get the product in the stores. But you know what? As far as that, once you close the deal, you moved on to other stuff. And they're working on getting that thing tooled up and getting it over back over to the States, if that's where it's coming to, and then getting it in the stores. And that's going to take longer, but you're done. You're moving on to the next product. Maybe you show them another product, show other companies another product, and you're moving on. And that's just a matter of fact. So I haven't found it to uh, reduce the number of deals our students are doing. And I haven't found it. I haven't found, this is one thing that surprised me that I thought would be happening, that the deals would fall out. That the company would come back and go, hey, it's taken you know, forever. We decided not to move forward. I haven't found that at all. I'm not seeing that. Almost non-existent. But I do see some inventors being impatient. I'm like, stop being impatient. It's so what? It's going to take the company three, two, three, four, five months longer. Who cares to launch the product and get it in the stores? They're already using all their money, all their workforce, and they're doing all the work. Licensing is already such a great business model already. Accept it. This, this extreme impatience, like you're so upset, it took them an extra four months to get it in the stores. Accept it. And if you don't want to accept that, just don't do licensing. And don't think that you making the product yourself will make it any faster because for anybody to start a new business and start manufacturing overseas in Asia right now is basically insane. So if these large companies are having that issue, can you imagine trying to do that on your own right now? Now you could get it made in the U.S., but we're having uh, materials problems even here, you know, if it's made in the U.S. And then if you're not competitive on price point, that's going to kill you right there and you're going to mortgage your house and home, be living on the street because you spent your last dimes trying to run a business and because you were so stubborn because you didn't want to spend an extra four months for that company to launch launch the product that you were licensing it to. So I'm just coming up with a silly, fictitious scenario here, but you guys get the idea. So um, yes, it is having an effect, Paul, and that's okay. I, if people, if people come up with the COVID excuse, they come up with the supply chain excuse, they come up with, um, you know, the stuff caught at the docks excuse. Um, they come up now. The latest one is um, uh, inflation. Oh, but Andrew, you know, people aren't going to be buying as much, you know, because of, of, of inflation. I'm like, yeah, that's probably going to happen. So what? So you license a product to a company and for a period of maybe it's, let's, let's in this fictitious scenario, let's say the product sells for five or six years. And for the first year, because we're in some inflationary thing, or maybe for longer, that you might get 10% less royalties than you would if everything was perfect, you know? But customers will always buy products. They'll always want new products. The American public in particular is insatiable appetite for new. Therefore, companies will always be licensing new products. So, so yeah, so there's inflation. So people are buying a little bit less, maybe. So what? That's just reality. So that's that's addressing all the things that I, I don't hear them that often, actually. Those are the ones that I hear. I'm kind of surprised I don't hear them more often. I think people are saying it to themselves and then not attempting. But I'm telling you guys, 
None of those things are a problem with you licensing. And all this responsibility is off on the company. So it's a beautiful, low-risk way to get your products out in the world so people can enjoy them. It's fantastic. Um, let's see. Uh, Antonia is kind of a general question. I have a prototype. How can I license my idea? Uh, Antonia, you need to watch the our YouTube show. So watch a bunch of our YouTube shows. Um, that's way too general of an idea. But what what I'm first of all, you don't always need a prototype. Sometimes, um, and maybe you just cobbled something together, you Frankenstein together with something you bought the store. Maybe you're like one of those inventors that ran out and spent 10 grand on a prototype. But I think I get a, so many inventors saying, I'm so far along. And then I ask them, so what does that mean to you? Well, I, I filed a patent. How much did you spend? $10,000. Hmm. Okay, didn't need to do that. And I got a prototype. And that means they're so far along. No, that means you threw a bunch, $10,000 at a patent attorney you didn't need to. Now, not all the time, but why didn't you spend $75 on a provisional patent? Well, because I know this is going to work. I know it's going to work. Well, it's kind of risky. Why don't take that risk again? And I, don't worry if you guys already did that. But now that you know that you don't have to do that, and that's not the first step, and I get talk to inventors all the time. They're like, yeah, Andrew, you know, I kind of did that. I won't be doing that again. So, but people think they're far along because they threw a bunch of money to patent attorney. When they probably didn't study the marketplace, they probably didn't cover all the variations, they might have a poor patent. They quite often do. Um, and then, oh, I, I made a patent. So, I mean, I made a prototype. So they think a prototype and a patent means they're far along. And I'm here to tell you, you're not. Now, are you more far along than somebody that just has a thought in their head? Maybe. Maybe you're further behind. If you spent 10000 on a patent, and that's kind of maybe wasn't a great move. Um, and then you spend a 5000 on a prototype. Maybe that wasn't a great move. Maybe you should have studied the marketplace, looked at all your products, make some adjustments, make a virtual prototype like we do for our students instead. So I hear this, I'm so far along, I'm so far along. And and I, you don't aren't necessarily. Now, maybe you, you just spent 75 bucks on a, a prototype. Sorry, 75 bucks on a provisional. And you did a, you Frankenstein something, you bought down at the store for 20 bucks. Good, fantastic. You're doing great. You're rocking it. Are you farther along with somebody just with a thought in their head? Yeah, you are. But not I'm so far along, I shouldn't have to do any more work. You know, and Antonio, you didn't you didn't say that at all. You didn't say any of this stuff. You're new, right? Um, but you need a sell sheet, you need a list of companies, you need to study the marketplace, you need to know how to use LinkedIn, you need to know how to reach out on the phone and LinkedIn. Um, you need to get rid of all your fears. Most inventors have a bunch of fears, but watch our YouTube show. You're going to find out about a lot of these things and maybe read our book, One Simple Idea and get kind of like your, get the 10 steps. That's our 10 steps. And we have a 10 step system. Um, Stephanie said, what do I ask when calling around? I'm so scared to start. I feel like I get tripped up and not sound professional or they judge me as a person and not off my idea. Well, Stephanie, a lot of our students are afraid of making those calls, and that's why getting started on LinkedIn is great. Now, it's more prep work. you got to set up your profile, get some people you know, connected with some people, and then reach out to some companies. You can't reach out with one connection to companies, and that might be a great place to get started. Um, but when you're calling, now, to call, you can get started right away. Oh, this is that company. I'm going to call. I'm going to get the gatekeeper. And, you know, and so you know, if you, if you ask for the person 
that might be responsible for such and such, you know, um, that might get you somewhere. If you go on LinkedIn, you might say, oh, one of the market managers, Bob Smith, you call and you say, hey, um, can I talk to Bob Smith? Oh, what was it regarding? Or maybe they don't say that. Well, I'm looking to license a product to your company. I'm a product developer. And I noticed that Bob Smith is a marketing manager for the product line that I would be submitting to. Can um, can I have his email address or can you connect connect with him? Um, now, people don't pick up the phones much these days, leaving a voicemail. Are they going to get back to you? Probably not. Would I be upset if they didn't get back to a voicemail? No, not at all. Um, maybe they'll give you his email. There's a lot of different techniques we're giving in, getting in, and we teach people these techniques. The major um, avenues you're going to approach is um, LinkedIn, the phone, and email. But there's all sorts of techniques for like getting a hold of somebody in sales and and saying you're interested in such and such product line. And when they get back to you, you say, "Yeah, I am interested in such and such product line because I have a product I like to license to." And they're like, "Oh crap! I was trying to get a sale here." And can you introduce me to your marketing manager? Do you think they would be interested in this? And there's a lot of different techniques you can use. Um, but one of the things that I'm interviewing coaches now and students is almost no inventors outside InventRight are persistent and consistent enough with their outreach. They give up way too soon. And a lot of these companies need to reach out six, seven, eight times. Other times, sometimes you get a hold of a person the very first time, pretty rare, pretty rare. Um, and even the best students. So even when people signed up for our coaching and they're students of ours, we're constantly encouraging them and going, nope, you still need it. You're, nope. I know you got 15 no's. You got 30 companies. You got 15 companies. Didn't say no yet. You're not done. And so insisting that our students do that and supporting them and mentoring them and guiding them all the little details, things they're getting upset about and listening to them talk about being upset about this or that. If you're not upset about something with licensing, you're not doing the work. Like if you're new to this and you're not upset about something or something isn't working, you're not doing the work. So to have a coach right there to go, oh, we're going to fix this like this. Let's try it this way this time. Let's try it that way. Or, you know, I know you reached out to this company four times. That is normal. Let's try a different avenue with this company and let's do this. So it's very strategic. Okay. Um, Oh, thank you, Ray. Ray said, thank you, Andrew, always bringing all the good information. Never feel bad or over explain what InventRight coaching is. Uh, you guys do a great job. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you. It means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Um, and so before we wind up here, um, I just want to say if you guys want to um, say thank you to me for answering your questions. And if I didn't get to your question, if you, we're still going to get to a few more here. Um, Type it early on in the hour. Show up right at the beginning of the hour, and I will answer your question, okay? But if you show up later, I'm just not going to get to them all. Um, but just the fact that I intended to or the ones that I did, please give uh, give a thumbs up to this video and subscribe. Click on subscribe and click on the notification button. It's not like we're going to start spamming you because you click on subscribe. That's not how YouTube works, but you get notified of the live streams. And it, so when you click subscribe, it helps us. I think we're getting close to 60,000 subscribers. I'd like to get to 80. So if you want to say thank you to me for personally taking an entire hour to answer you guys for an entire hour without, yes, I do. I am talking about the coaching, but I don't give a sales pitch. And I always give information that's going to be helpful to you, regardless of whether or not you ever sign up for coaching. Okay. And I think, I think I don't have people tell me, oh, Andrew gets on. He just, they just tease us. No, that's, that's BS. I don't do that. 
Um, so say thank you to me by subscribing um, and watching a bunch of our videos and all that. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. Uh, my two cents. Thanks for the time. Can you explain the six-month coaching part versus the next six months? Um, and can you keep getting help with the extra payment? What percentage feel completely confident after your program? Um, so, yeah. So now the way we have it set up is you get six months of one-on-one -on -one coaching. You're talking to your coach every week and you can email them anytime. And our negotiation coach is waiting in the wings and you get a sell sheet, you get a virtual prototype, you get software to follow your provisional. And we do webinars all the time and you have the trainings in the site. The main thing is you with your coach working on your project from day one. I don't want to overwhelm you with all the stuff. But we do a lot of cool stuff for our students. Um, now, when the six months of one-on-one -on -one coaching is up, you get six months of Alumni Plus, where you still get access to the Bridging the Gap meetings, where we bring on companies that are looking for ideas, the CEO or marketing manager is talking about what they're looking for. You still get access to the group coaching hours, actually, on Mondays, um, if you do Alumni Plus. And you still get access to Smart Pitch, where you can talk in a group about reaching out to companies. So it's a really nice thing. And we didn't have that before. People could pay for Alumni Plus, but we just added it at no extra cost for the second six months to keep people attached to us and keep helping these different ways beyond the six months of coaching. So that's the entire freaking year, guys. I mean, six months of one-on-one -on -one really gets you in the game. Um, you know, I, I can't comment specifically confident. I don't know what confident is, but our goal is to make people comfortable enough at the end of that six months to go, hey guys, I, I got this. Now, some people are like, I love my coach. I love the direction they're giving me. I want to work on some more projects. And they renew. We get a, a fair amount of people that are renewing. But we want people at the end of six months to go, I get it. I understand it. I experienced it. I could do this the rest of my life. That is the goal for our students. Now, do we accomplish that with every single student at that level? I don't think so. But I think a good percentage of them we do. And a lot of that is on the student. Like if you're showing up every week and you're hitting it and it doesn't matter if you're doing things wrong because the coach will correct you on that. Oh, no, let's do it like this. You get a little off here. If you're really making an effort during that six months, do you know, are you going to be way, way more confident with licensing than you were before? Like, like just through the roof, more confident? Yes. If you go through the process. Now, if you're fighting your coach and, you know, and, and, and sometimes you get students, they're like, I can see it's it's a bit of a shock. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I think sometimes to go from just dreaming up ideas to actually working on them and doing all the boring stuff that we teach you to do, because all the stuff we're going to teach you to do is won't be as much fun as coming up with an idea. You have to accept that you've got to learn all this new stuff. But if it keeps it in a, does it in a, you do can do it in an affordable way in a safe way and you're doing and saying everything right and you have the highest chance of success because we're helping you that is very very empowering so um i think that 100 percent of our students that um give it an effort are going to be infinitely more comfortable now could something else come up at some point that you didn't experience during that six months sure of course something could happen um but I feel really good about what we do. And all our coaches are really work hard to make things make sense to folks. Um, so I, I didn't get a chance to get to everybody. I didn't get, get to most. Like I said, if I didn't get to you, just show up earlier in the hour. Um, it's every Monday, guys, at 4 Pacific, 7 Eastern. You adjust for your time. So if you put it down in your calendar, I'll answer your questions, okay, for free. That's pretty freaking good. Um, you know, anyway, so I remind you guys to take care and keep inventing. I love you guys. You guys are great. 
Um, I hope you feel a little bit more empowered today. Keep watching our YouTube show. Keep reading our books. And if you want our help, sign up for our coaching. But um, pull the trigger at some point with getting out to companies, however you're doing that, whether you're doing it with us or just with watching our videos. But you got to do it at some point. You got to, And it's hard. It's a hard step to take from just dreaming up ideas to actually reaching out to companies. I know it's hard, but I encourage you guys to do it. Uh, companies are not going to knock you off left and right like you might be thinking. Um, this is what I'll say. This is, should be encouraging. Great way to end it out. Um, ended out. I don't even know what that means, but to end, to wind up. In the 22 years we've been doing this, I've never had a single one of our students get ripped off by a company they presented to. Now, our students are conducting themselves very professionally. So I think a small percentage of companies might consider it. They see, oh, no, they know what they're doing. I'm not going to mess with them. That's what I think. Um, but that's a damn good track record. It'll happen one day. One of our students will get knocked off by a company they presented to. But don't think all these companies are out there to rip you off. They're people just like you and me. I'm not saying you don't need to be careful. File a provisional patent, create a paper trail, do all that stuff. But you got to get over the inventor paranoia if you're still feeling it. And it's normal to feel that because I say it's normal because most inventors do feel that. But hopefully, I think we scare the crap out of some people because we remove all those roadblocks. And it's like, oh, crap, I don't have any excuses anymore. So I love that. And that's that's empowering. And if there's one thing I like to say, one word that I like to use, my favorite word to use for InventRight, whether it's the, the books or the free YouTube show or coaching, it's empowering. We want to empower you guys. I want to take away that fear. I want to empower you guys. So go for it. Take care. Keep inventing, guys. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye.